Scripture this morning is from the ninth chapter of Amos, starting at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one trading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. Says the Lord, your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Randy. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, this is the final message in our, our Lenten series, Let Justice Roll Down. If you've been tracking with that series, you know it's a series about biblical justice. We've um, kind of learned a bit about what was going on in Israel during Amos' day and a bit about Amos himself and kind of looked at the uh, theological cornerstones of biblical justice that every human being, all of us here, every person in the world has been created in the image of God and is of infinite value for that reason alone and that God's law has been written on our hearts. Uh, we've seen that the first step toward justice is to seek the Lord. You know, if we don't do that, we'll, we'll get it wrong. We'll end up following the world's pattern of retributive justice instead of the biblical pattern of a restorative justice that renews people. We've seen that God's working out his purposes in the world through a redemptive community. In the Old Testament, of course, that was Israel. In our day, that's the church, and we're called to be a community of justice in the world and for the world. And last week, we saw that the symptoms of injustice are also the symptoms of self-centeredness, of of focusing our lives, ourselves, on something other than Jesus. That, that would be called an idol, something that has our priority, our, our allegiance. And we seek the Lord as we redirect our attention from those things more intentionally toward Jesus. And it's Palm Sunday. And the Palm Sunday story, at least as I understand it, is about an unexpected twist Right? Even the palm branches themselves, I, I do this almost every Palm Sunday, so if you're a fifth regular, you probably remember it. But a lot of the imagery, a lot of the symbolism that was used to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem that day was, in fact, misguided. It was all uh, directed toward welcoming a coming military king who would you know, free the Jewish people from the Romans. And, uh, so the, the people that day were expecting a king. And they were a little bit surprised by what actually happened. The last five verses in the book of Amos are also an unexpected twist. They come as a surprise. When I was a brand new believer, uh, my, my first in-depth Bible study was through a series called the Bethel Bible Series. It's, it's quite dated now. It was dated when I experienced it, whatever, 25-ish, 30 years ago, something like that. 
But one of the things that stood out to me was that for every lesson, there was an eight and a half by 11 picture, a poster that was a, a visual that tried to explain something of the themes of that, uh, that portion of scripture. And I so remember the pictures associated with the prophets because in each one of those pictures, there would be either a black flag or a white flag or both, black flag and white flag. And doesn't take too much thinking to figure that out. A black flag prophet was one who brought a message of condemnation and, and judgment. A white flag prophet, one who brought hope. Black and white, or is a combination of both. Amos is a black flag prophet. I mean, we've seen that as we've been reading the book. I mean, this is a blistering condemnation of injustice. I mean, just red hot. And, and paired, like a good wine pairing with a meal, right? It's paired with a description of devastating judgment, which we really didn't focus on in this series. But if you go back and you read the description of judgment, it is hard to read. It, it is, it's devastating. And it, I contend it is impossible to walk away from reading the book of Amos and conclude anything but that justice matters to God. I don't think you can come away from this book with any other message than that. Justice matters to God. And friends, that is good news. As devastating the description of judgment contained in the book, it is very, very good news that justice matters to God. Because imagine if it didn't. Really imagine that. What if justice didn't matter to God? What if back in 2014 when Boko Haram, the terrorist organization in Nigeria who kidnapped 276 school girls, and of that number, a hundred of those are still missing today. What if that didn't matter to God? What if it turned out that the work of that amazing Christian organization uh, known as IJM, the International Justice Mission, what if it turned out the, the work done by IJM to trace and disrupt the global sex trade didn't matter to God? kind of shrugged, why, why are y'all working so hard? Is it that big of a deal? What if, what, what if the most horrible, inhumane, repulsing experience you can remember personally, that in your mind and heart so clearly violated everything that's right, the value of a human being and the law of God written on our hearts that says we should value other, other people. What if that experience that was so clearly wrong and because it was so clearly wrong, it's seared on the memory of your soul. What if that didn't matter to God? Can you imagine the kind of living hell we would be experiencing in this world if justice did not matter to God. Can you imagine if every human being instantaneously gave up on their conscience this morning? 
gave up on the law of God written on our hearts and decided that justice just doesn't matter. No rule of law, no systems of justice, just might makes right. If you've got bigger muscles or bigger guns, you win. Uh, you, you, you know that I very much appreciate the writing and work of Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor. He makes this point brilliantly in multiple places. That when a society gives up on God, we give up on any reasonable basis for belief in human rights. Did you know that? You know, as our society has become more secular, we've begun, begun to lose the moral sources of our moral ideas. It would be akin to standing on the top of a ladder, the top half of a ladder, and deciding that you don't like the bottom half of the ladder. And you brought on a big heavy weight and tied it to a rope, and from the top of the ladder, we're swinging it, trying to destroy the bottom half of the ladder. And the problem is, when you finally succeed in your mission, you fall from a great height. See, without belief that justice matters to God, there is no foundation for human rights. There's no reasonable motivation for the personal sacrifices needed to create a more just and humane world where we give of ourselves and of our resources for the good and flourishing of other people. There's no basis for that without this idea that justice matters to God. But justice does matter to God. And that is good news. And justice is at the center of the gospel. I mean, th think about this. Even the most simplistic summary of the gospel makes this clear. God is good and gracious and desires relationships with people. Human beings are broken. We've walked away from God. We're unable to fix ourselves, unable to work our way back to God. God is merciful and just, doesn't want to punish people, but must do something about sin, can't tolerate wrongdoing, can't violate his own commitment to right and wrong, to justice. From a human perspective, it would seem that God would have a problem with that. Which would win, justice or mercy? Which would take top position? But what seemed like a problem to us was not at all a problem to God because he came to earth in the person of Jesus to take upon himself all of God's wrath and judgment against sin and injustice to extend grace while valuing justice and mercy simultaneously. That is good news. And it came at a terrible cost. A terrible cost. You know, the price was his blood. And the cost was his life. It's what we remember this week and this holy week. See, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting something overwhelmingly better than you deserve. And in Jesus, we have access to grace. One author put it this way. So, Jesus came so that unjust people could stand next to a just God as if we're just through a process of justification whereby we're justified. Justice is at the center of the gospel. 
Justice matters to God. See, through Amos, God made these things very clear. I mean, the whole message of Amos, the all first nine chapters up to the verses we read today make it very clear that justice matters to God and, and that he will do something about injustice. And, and these last five verses, those we read today, make it clear that God values mercy and was planning on extending grace in the form of a perfect king. It comes right from the text we read. Look, look at the verses again, 11 and 12. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will, will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will build, rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. Restore David's fallen shelter. Well, that, that just takes some work to think about. What does that mean? Is this a home repair project? You know, fixing up the house? What, what are we talking about? This, this is the, the Davidic kingdom come undone. This is God talking about coming back to, to bring that promised king in the line of David to restore the kingdom. Kind of like mentioned in uh, Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Of course, we know him as Jesus. On that first Palm Sunday long ago, the crowd thought Jesus was this perfect king God had promised, and they were right. They thought Jesus would save them by kicking out the Romans and bringing back the kind of glory days of of God's kingdom under King David. Here, they were wrong, right? Jesus didn't come to kick out the Romans. Jesus came to save the Romans and everybody else. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so often we leave off verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to kick out the Romans or any other person. He came to kick out sin and death and evil and injustice. And he has done just that. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. In in Acts 15, we read about the Jerusalem Council. And the apostles and elders of the early church all gathered to consider whether the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus had to live by all the Jewish rules. In essence, it, they, were, they were trying to figure out whether the gospel was a message for the whole world or primarily for Jewish people, and then if somebody else believed, they had to kind of become Jewish. And in their debate, the apostle James stood up. You can read about this in Acts 15. The apostle James stood up and quoted, of all things... Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. 
the apostles understood that this passage from Amos that we're looking at today meant that a king would come. They understood it to mean that Jesus was that long-promised king and that he came to help everyone everywhere find their way back to God. This is how the early church understood the verses we just read today, as pointing to Jesus. And as the promised king, Jesus also inaugurated his kingdom on earth. Amos talks about this too in in verses 13 through 15. We'll just look at verse 13 for the purpose of the message today. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. I I don't know about you, but I had to slow down on this one and think about it. What does it mean that the reaper is overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes? Like you got to put the agricultural equation together in your head. That the reaper, the one who harvests, you know, in, in our kind of system of the year, that would be in the fall, You go out for the fall harvest and you start bringing in the harvest. What this scripture is saying is that there will be so much harvest to bring in that those conducting the harvest, even though they've been working continually, will still be in the fields when the next season comes to plow the field and plant. This is a vision of of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of abundance. There's so much we don't know what to do with it. It's, it's a kingdom overflowing with provision. It's the kingdom where bushes burn but aren't consumed. It's the kingdom where Eden is restored and the curse of the ground is lifted. It's the kingdom where the fruit of the Spirit is no longer noticed for its uniqueness but for its utter pervasiveness. Everywhere, all the time. It's the kingdom of God about which Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Right here, the text means. Therefore, repent. Change your thinking and believe. Trust and align your life. And and with God's kingdom comes the promise of justice, of, of shalom, where all things will be right, where all things will be as they were intended to be by God in the beginning and nothing will be out of line. And the resurrection of Jesus is the first installment on God making good on that promise. Resurrection justice. But come back next week for that. The verses we read in Amos today are a kind of closing statement. And all attorneys are trained that what you say at the end of your, of your argument matters because it sticks, right? And I believe God gave Amos this closer for a reason. Through all the black flag condemnation of injustice and that, that description of devastating judgment, the remnant of God's people in Israel who had been faithful to the Lord must have been wondering Is God actually going to keep his promise to us? Because it's sounding pretty bad. And even if we find ourselves very solid in our our faith in Christ, it, it is a normal human experience 
to, to have doubts, to go, to go through this. You know, there are times when we need to lean on the faith of other people. I mean, we experience when, times when it's, it's really hard to believe that the Lord is either able or willing to keep his promises to us. We kind of wonder where he is. The Psalms are full of this, right? Where are you, God? Because it sure feels like you're entirely absent. And in the Old Testament world, everybody understood that if there was a covenantal relationship, if one party broke the covenant, the other party would be released from the covenant. And, and Israel knew that they had broken covenant with God. And the, the Bible has two big themes that are really important, covenant and kingdom. And of course, we understand uh, as Christians that Jesus has brought a new covenant, but a a new kind of relationship with God in which we can live because of what Jesus has done, a covenantal relationship with God. And in Christ, we receive a new kingdom purpose for our lives. Our faith isn't just a silo over here, a sideshow to our regular lives. It, it is the foundation of all we are and everything we do, our purpose for life. You know, God's commitment to his covenantal relationship with Israel was not based ultimately on their spiritual performance or their fulfillment of the covenant. Now, a covenant had great demands upon them, but ultimately God's commitment to that covenant was because he had sworn by himself that he would uphold his end of the deal. You can see this in multiple places in, in Scripture. And that is exactly what God did in Jesus. He swore by himself to uphold his end of the covenant. And in Christ, he did not only that, but he snuck around to our side because the incarnation, Christmas, is about God coming to earth in person, in the person of Jesus, a human being, to uphold our end of the covenant for us. So in Christ, God keeps his end of the deal and he keeps our end of the deal for us. That's what makes the new covenant new. And that what's, that's, that's what makes it such a good deal, such good news. It's God doing this on our behalf. Yes, justice matters to God. Justice is at the center of the gospel. And God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God kept his promise to Israel and God will keep his promise of justice to all people. More than that, God will keep all of his promises to those who are in Christ. And Amos closed his message about justice by pointing people to God's promises. So let's close this message in the same way. Listen again to just some of the promises that Jesus has made to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because I live, you also will live. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives by believing in me will never die. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. As we seek the Lord, as we pursue Jesus, we are reminded of our identity in Christ. And from there, we join God in his kingdom work for justice in the world. Let justice roll down like a mighty river. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you guide us in life by, by promptings and a sense of conviction in our inner being. God, open us to your voice that comes to us in that form. Help us understand how you're guiding us. Father, pour out your spirit on us. Remind us of who we are in Jesus, that we're beloved children, daughters and sons whom you love and with whom you are pleased, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of what you have given to us. And God, from that place of confidence and assurance in our relationship with you, from that, that place of utter humility and dependence upon your grace and mercy, equip us, make us aware, enable us to work with you in this world for all that concerns you. Equip us for doing justice in this world. Show us how to do that in this moment. Guide us very directly, Lord, and help us to be agents of your gospel, your reconciliation, your peace, your shalom. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.